Well, turn with me to, in your Bible, if you have it, Exodus chapter 20. We're continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. We are uh, on the Second Commandment this week. And just to re- as a reminder, uh, our kind of format for this is to simply look at uh, what did this mean for Israel? Uh, you know, these were commandments given thousands of years ago, so what did it mean in their life? Uh, what is it? That's the first thing. The second thing we look at is what was helpful about this commandment? What was it protecting Israel and what does it protect us from? That's the second thing. And the third thing, what does it mean for us today? How does it translate uh, today's uh, culture, our world, uh, but also wrapped up in that is what would Jesus have to say about it? Um, so that's kind of our threefold thing as we look at this uh, commandments and we are in the second commandment. Exodus chapter 20, we'll be looking at verses four through six. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rules are a funny thing. Uh, I don't know if you remember growing up or you did this as a kid. Your parents would tell you to do something, they'd give you a rule, uh, and you would follow it, but really break it, right? Uh, you would follow the letter of the law. No pointing fingers, Martha Sue. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I was thinking, I, I was a pretty good kid, but bedtime was a lot like that for me. I would go to bed, you know, go to bed, I'd go to bed, I went to bed. Um, the rule wasn't fall asleep in five minutes, I just went to bed. And then I had stashed candy under my bed, and I'd stash some of my favorite picture books under the bed. And the bed, for some reason, was high enough that I could crawl under the bed. And I would just have a little nighttime reading and snack time uh, before I actually went to bed. Wasn't breaking the rule. The rule was go to bed. Uh, but there's no rule against staying up and eating candy all night, right, until I fell asleep. Uh, that's the function, I think, when we look at the Ten Commandments, what we're going to see, and we're going to see it today... Um, I, not to make a big distinction, but I think there's the command, like the heart of the command of God that was really being represented. And then there's kind of what we sometimes in religion have just made the rule. Does that make sense? Like there's the heart of the command of what we're trying to get at, what God is protecting us from, what is the life of the community is to look like. And then there's the rule that sometimes we've just made rules about these. And, and the second commandment is uh, one of the great examples of that. Uh, it, it's probably been one of the most troublesome, especially in the church, uh, throughout the church history of, of how do we handle this. Um, and in fact, I, just thinking about the history, especially in the 16th century, people were literally rioting in the streets over this command, about disagreements about what this command meant for the church. Um, I mean, there was riots in Zurich, Zurich, Copenhagen, Geneva, Scotland, throughout the 16th century about some churches having religious imagery and some that thought none. I mean, and for some churches behind our projection screen, the stained glass, they would have thought that was breaking the second commandment, right? So it's how far do you go? 
And so today I want us to think about and just realize, and we're going to see this time and time again in the commandments. There's the commandment, the heart of it, I think we're going to get to. And there's kind of been the rule um, that's been made out of the commandment. And the rules um, get strenuous, and that's, they kind of miss, as we'll see. They miss the heart of the commandment, and that's my point. Um, and so when we get, up, get caught up in the rules. So the second commandment, uh, don't make yourself an idol or an image of anything, um, but especially of God. What did this mean for the ancient Israelites? Now we have to remember, I know this is a culture that's very far away from us, uh, but here's really kind of in the heart of the uh, ancient Israelites and the ancient peoples, and it's really kind of still in our heart today. How do I please the gods or God? In their time, we talked about last week, there was many gods. There's just a given in the religious culture. So how do I please? How can I receive the favor of my God? What do I need to do to have the favor? And remember, we talked about that there was the god Baal god. There was a storm god. There was Astartes that would have been a fertility god. There was just there was, uh, many plethora of gods that were over certain things. And so I would have to do something to this god to receive the rain, something for my animals to get fertility. So the question for the ancient Israelites is, how do I please my God? And one of the givens in their culture, I mean, it just wasn't even a question. One of the ways you could do this is that you would fashion an image or a statue, what we call an idol, um, and they would fashion it in the likeness of that God, and that God may be just represented by a fish or a horse or something like that. And I would have this... uh, creation, this idol, this image, and I would just treat it with reverence. It would be involved in my worship of that deity, and really it would just represent that God. That what I did to this statue, if I showed it reverence, um, if I incorporated it in my worship, I used it, I really don't think that they ever looked at this little piece of wood or uh, even gold when they would make them. They didn't really think that was the God itself, but they really believed that represented the God. Does that make sense? Um, that they said, what, what I do to this statue, this idol, this, this image, I do, to the other, I do to the deity himself or herself, right? And so they were trying to uh, appease the God. They were trying to show their uh, fidelity. They were trying to show their worship and their goodness to receive the favor of the God through using the idol. And, and they took this pretty seriously. That sometimes they would even try to feed or offer food to the statue, to the emblem. They would sometimes bathe and clothe the statue or the emblem because they really believed that how they were treating the statue was how they were treating the God that they were serving. Does that make sense? And so I don't think they really confused. You know, I'm not an ancient person 3,000 years ago, but they really didn't confuse that this is my God right here, but this represents my God. And so what I do to the idol, I do unto God. And that's the reason. I know it's hard. Like, how did they, why did they ever make these things? And why did, we can kind of understand they thought they were serving their God by doing that. And that's how they related to their God. Um, we're going to talk more about that. And so this was just such a given in the culture. No one really questioned it. And so for God and one of the Ten Commandments, one of the main uh, laws of what it meant to serve the God Yahweh, what it would mean to have no images of that God, that you cannot make an idol or an image of that God, that would have been a radical, exclusive claim during this time period. 
Um, it, it, would have mar- it would have been a boundary marker between Israel and all the other uh, religions of the land that they couldn't make an idol or an image of their God. Um, and this, they would struggle with this time and time again. We were just looking in, in 1 Samuel, and it's just kind of passing reference, like, oh, the household idol uh, they use. That Israel will struggle with making idols, not only of other gods, but of God himself. And they would, they would struggle with it. And we, we might say, well, why would you struggle with it? Um, we talked about last week why we're tempted to worship other gods. Um, and maybe you say, what, what's the big deal? I'm, I'm glad I don't have to make a statue and you know, revere it. But let's just do a thought experiment. If I could give you something, whatever it be, a little statue, a picture, something. If I could give you something that actually represented God, I mean, thought experiment, I'm not saying I could, but if I could, if I could say, here, this, how you treat this is how you're treating God. Can you imagine how much reverence and care, and, and you, you would, it would be your most precious possession. That if you could really show your commitment and love of that God with something you could hold in your hand, can you imagine what reverence you'd give it? And so for Israel to have a, something that, that could connect them so directly to the God and they could use was kind of tempting. And especially it's tempting when Everyone else, kind of like them worshiping other gods, when everyone else around you, all your neighbors, have their idols and they're worshiping and things sometimes are, look like they're working out pretty good for them, it's like, well, maybe I need to make one of those. And here God says, no. Not only do you not need to make one of those, I command you not to make one of those. Do not use images or idols in your worship of me or any other god. We talked about they can't worship other gods last week but now they're not even to use an idol or an image. So what does this protect? This, maybe this sounds like a small thing in the grand scheme of things. Um, is God just nitpicking? Is God just trying to make them weird? No. Uh, God does not make uh, his people just weird for weird's sake. There's always a reason behind the law. There's always heart of it. So what does, our second item, what does it protect Israel from and what really it protects us from, or the boundary marker? And really at the heart of this commandment is this. There's two things really at the heart of this commandment, but the first, they're related. The first is this, that there is nothing that you and I can create that can faithfully represent the God, the infinite God that created the universe. There's nothing that can faithfully represent that God that we can make by our own hands. And you can say, okay, I can get on board with that. And if we would try, we would do a disservice to God. That whatever we would do could not faithfully represent. I mean, God, the God we worship, the God Israel worships is infinite. The creator of all. It is beyond our conception. God is too great for us to even fashion anything in his likeness. And so we would be doing a disservice to God and ourselves, fooling ourselves that this could capture the essence of of the infinite God. So God comes to them and basically says, you just don't try to make anything in my likeness. You can't. It would be a disservice to me. There's nothing you can create. I don't care how, how expensive it, it is. 
If it's made of diamonds or gold or silver, there's nothing exquisite enough, no painting beautiful enough to capture the essence of the infinite almighty God. And so don't even try. And as we think about the ways that Israel did have reverence for God, and we think of the, the, um, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, um, the Holy of Holies and different things in the, in the sanctuary wasn't about anything particular in there. It was a space for God's presence to dwell. Do you see the difference? Like they'd never believed that they could make something that would capture the essence of God. They had to make space for it. And, and, and uh, similar to the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant itself was just a space for God's presence to dwell because nothing they made could capture the essence of that deity. So that all they could do is make space for the presence. And that presence, they believed, went with them and goes with us as well. Um, so that, that's it. Nothing we could do represents the God. And the second thing, though, connected to that is kind of how an idol functions. Because when you have an idol, when the Israelites and, and their fellow Canaanites and different things, they had a, an idol, what they really believed is that they had a direct line to that God. Does that make sense? Does anybody remember the time when you were the remote for the TV? Before the time remotes came on and, and your dad or your mom said, hey, go change the channel, go turn the dial. Uh, I, I admittedly was not a part of that. I grew up with remotes. I love remotes. Maybe it's something about guys, but I, I love remote controls. I have about 50 of them in my house. Um, in fact, friends come over and they make fun of me because now I've gone to voice control the remotes and I just tell the computer to do stuff and she, she turns on lights and does, you know, every, turns on my fan and uh, I love remotes. I do, right? Um, you know how a remote control works. We know a remote control, we know it isn't the thing itself, but if you press the buttons in the right order on the remote, you can get the TV to do exactly what you want it to do, right? The danger with an idol or an image in worship is that you begin to believe that if I just, just an illustration, if I push the right buttons in the right order, I can get this God to do what I want. The danger that this commandment protects us from is thinking that we can control an almighty, infinite, free God. Because one of the, the base claims of Israel is that this God, Yahweh, he cannot be controlled. This God is completely free. He is unbound by anything. We can't hold him. We don't even have the exclusive claim on him. So don't try to make an idol where you can try to get a little leverage on that God. Because you can't. In fact, that'd be blasphemous. And I think this is where it starts to hit home for us a little bit as we think about ways that we sometimes are tempted to try to get a little leverage on God, even now. And as you say it, that sounds a little ridiculous, but we're all tempted to do it at some point in our lives, aren't we? I think uh, when we talk about the prosperity gospel, I think that is one of the ways that we're actually talking about idolatry here. Because really, in this base form, the prosperity gospel just turns God into a vending machine. That if I do A, B, and C, I can get what I want from God, right? 
When we try in any way, shape, or form think that we can just manipulate God into giving us what we desire or want, we are using God as a vending machine, and that is expressly what he is commanding Israel not to do here. The the better illustration that we need to think of is that simply God wants a real relationship with us, an intimate relationship with us, where we're not just in the relationship to get things, get protection, get health, that we, what, love God and treat him as someone we love and not just someone we're using and trying to remote control with our idol. Do you see the connection here? That not only could we not uh, faithfully represent that God, but we can't control this God, so don't even try to get leverage on him. And instead, we're supposed to come to this God in prayer. And we are called to come to this God in prayer and relate to this God, but even still, I hope you don't go to God in prayer trying to get that leverage. Do you see the difference? I think sometimes, and and we forget, I think it's honestly sometimes a lack of faith that when we think we have to just berate God, that if we just pray a certain amount of words, or get a certain amount of leverage, or get angry or sad enough that we can leverage God. And that's not what prayer is at all. Prayer is to, is to be an outpouring of our heart out of love for God, sharing our needs with God. But what did Jesus say as our Heavenly Father? It's not like some, you remember that, that, metaf- that illustration he said, like the, the old woman banging on the angry, corrupt judge's door repeatedly? He said, you don't have that. You have a loving parent. So in anything we do, we can never try to get a handle or leverage on God. Even if we're not using a remote control, that we can't. Because God is radically free, and God does not want to be in a vending vending machine relationship with us. He wants to be in a loving parent-child relationship. And if you've ever seen a, a kid manipulate parents, isn't it painful to watch? And God is that parent that's not going to put up with it. He, he doesn't want a child, us, manipulating him. So that's what uh, really at the heart of don't make an idol because you can't get the leverage on me. He wants us a direct, direct relationship and contact for that. All right. That's all the negative side of things. Really, this, I believe this commandment gets the heart of the entire story of salvation and why we're here this morning and why we were created in the first place. There's a huge positive aspect to it. Um, So we can't stop there. Here's the real, real deep reason that we don't make images of God or or statues of uh, as an idol to represent God. Because we can't. You know why? God has already placed his image in creation. God's already done it. God did it at the very beginning. Do you remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 26? And he said, let us make humankind in our image. That's directly related to here. The second commandment is so exclusive to Israel that you are not to make an idol or, or an image of me in any way because I've already done it. In creating humankind, God placed his image in the universe and in the world. Can we just stop and think about that for a second? 
As, as we look out in the heavens and the universe and we think of black holes and supernova and the billions and billions of galaxies and stars that there are in the world, God has decided to place his image, his representation in us, human kind. We are made in the likeness of God. So how dare we try to then make our own likeness of God when we are that likeness and that image in the world? That's why we were created. You and I, humankind, represent God. Do you hear me this morning? We are God's representatives. That's why we were placed in creation in the Garden of Eden. God placed his image in creation to care and to represent him in the world as we steward, excuse me, steward it. Um, this is an incredible honor. And so the second commandment really reminds us that, oh yeah, we are the image. We can't make one. But with that comes great responsibility. And as we talk about, even from Genesis chapter 2 onwards, something happened that we, we turned our back on that responsibility. Remember, we call this the fall. But really, that's all to say that, you know what, God, we don't want to represent you. We kind of want to represent ourselves. Uh, we want to have the knowledge of good and evil. We want to go our own way. And so that we began to not reflect God faithfully, Right? It's what we call sin. When we broke that relationship with God as we were intended to, we're not reflecting God faithfully, and then we started to mistreat our brothers and our sisters, and that's the story of Cain and Abel. And, and the effects of sin rippled through creation. And so hear me. I, if you don't hear anything, hear this. The fall in sin does not mean that every man, woman, child, they're still created in the image of God. Everybody, no matter who they are, what religion they are, if you are human, you are created in the image of God. We're going to come back to that. But we believe all of us, because of the fall, we don't reflect God always faithfully. Kind of like a mirror that has some dust or some dirt on it. We don't reflect. And we can just look at the war, the violence, the hatred. We can say, yeah, that's not God. And that's the result of the fall. And so what does God do? He calls a people. He calls Israel and says, given the brokenness in the world, I'm going to call a specific group of people to represent me, to reflect me, to be my image and creation, and I'm going to give them the law, the Torah, so they do it. Are you hanging with me? This is all about the image, right? God wanted a people faithfully to represent him in his image and the law. What we believe is the law was a good thing. It is. And it was, it was for a specific amount of time until in the fullness of time, God himself would take on flesh and dwell among us. That God would take on the body of the image. Why? So that you and I could fully recover the image. Paul would use this language. He would say that uh, Christ was the new Adam. Do you hear why he said that? Because now, because of Christ, we have the ability to become who we were created to be, the image of God in its fullest and reflect God. And all we mean by that is that as we become more like Christ, we are becoming more and more like God and more and more faithfully representing the image that we have within us. So God is calling always a people to represent him. Basically, the second commandment reminds us that what it means to be God's holy people. And we're a holiness church. That's what we're concerned about. God has always been calling a people to do that. And he does that because he wants his image to rest in creation. 
He wants people, all people, and he calls all people to represent him, to be his image in the creation. And I wonder this morning, uh, have you accepted that call? Have you had an encounter with Christ to, to realize that I can be the fullness, I can reflect God wonderfully in the world? God is calling us to that through Jesus Christ. But on the other side of this, there is a missional component to the second commandment. You didn't know there's all this in the second commandment, did you? There's a missional component in this, right? Because if we believe, and we do firmly believe that every man, woman, child, no matter who they are, are created in the image of God, let's go back to our thought experiment real quick. Remember I said, can you imagine what it would be like if you had something that you could hold that represented God? Can I tell you that's what we have in every human being? Let me put it like this. When you read the Bible, you should think, boy, uh, there's a lot in this book about how I treat other people. Has anybody noticed that? That a lot about the spiritualness in the Bible has a whole lot to do with how I'm treating other people. Just read one of the Gospels and you'll find out, boy, Jesus was really concerned about how I'm treating other people a lot. Do you know why that is? It's because people are the image and the representation of God in the world. So the scripture puts it like this, how you're treating other people it's how you're treating God. Remember, I mean, I think we would prefer, this is why the commandment's so important for us today. We would prefer to have God's representation in our pocket be a little wooden statue. I can be nice to a wooden statue. Wooden statue doesn't slap me in the face. Wooden statue doesn't call me names, right? I'd rather be really nice to a wooden statue. I think we're sometimes tempted to put our love of God in inanimate things. But God, from the very beginning, and Jesus was very clear about this, all of Scripture is very clear about this, how you treat other people is how you are treating God because they are the image of God in the world. We can't make an idol. We can't make an image. It's already here. And how we are treating one another, no matter who they are, we are treating God. First John puts it like this. You can't say that you love God and hate your brother. You're a liar if you do. Why? Because how you treat people is how you're treating God. This is our calling. This is the radical claim of the gospel and the good news of Scripture. That no matter who you are, man, woman, and child, no matter who you live, what race you are, what nationality you are, what uh, politic you are, whether you're Christian, Muslim, or atheist, whether you're gay or straight, no matter who you are, you are made in the image of God, and you are d deserve to be treated with the love that we would give God himself. Amen? That is where the image of God rests in the world. And you don't have to take my word for it. Here's what Jesus said. And I've really, this is one of my favorite illustrations, and I'll really close with this. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture that Jesus gives. It's one of the most powerful. It's actually one of the most scary. Because Jesus sends a whole lot of people out of the kingdom. Uh, but I think it's one of the most powerful passages uh, illustrations that Jesus gives, but this week he was given a whole new light thinking about the image of God 
in the second commandment. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 25. Hey, here, guys, he's just kind of giving us the end. He said, this is what the end's going to be like. I, the king, am going to stand before every nation. Every person of every nation is going to stand before me on judgment day. And I'm going to separate out the two groups, the sheep and the goats. And on the right, I'm going to look as I sit in glory on my throne. I'm going to look at the people on my right, the sheep, and I'm going to say, well done, good and faithful servants. Come into the kingdom prepared for you. Why? Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was an immigrant and a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was a prisoner, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you took care of me. Scripture says, and then the sheep say, Lord, when did we ever see you sick, hungry, or tired, and imprisoned? And he said, when you did it to the least of me, you did it unto me. Then he looks at the goats. He says, get out of here. Go out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because when I was hungry, you didn't give me anything to eat. And when I was tired, you didn't give me a place to rest. Actually, that one's not in there, but it fits. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was an immigrant and a stranger, you did not welcome me. When I was imprisoned, you did not visit me. Go to your reward outside of the kingdom and eternal punishment. And they say, Lord, when did we not ever see you in those situations? And he said, when you didn't do it to the least of me, you didn't do it to me. Here's where that directly connects to the image of God. Do you, do you realize what Jesus is saying here? And I don't want to just limit it to just the least of these. What he's really saying is that when you treat people like that, do you not see you're treating my image my representation that way. No matter who they are, how we treat others directly reflects how we love and treat God. And Jesus would say, especially to the least of these, I am to be found in them. This is an awesome responsibility. It really is to be the bearers of God's image in the world. And we're called to do that faithfully. God is calling us through Jesus Christ not to squander that ability, not to disrepresent him, but to represent him faithfully. And we can only do that through the grace and the forgiveness and the transformation found in Jesus Christ. Thou shall not make any graven image or idol. Israel struggled with this one. I think we do often in our world today. Because we're afraid of the awesome responsibility that is placed on us, and we would rather just give that responsibility to something else. We'd rather have a God that's just a vending machine rather than one that wants an intimate relationship with us. So the question before us this morning is that you embrace your calling as a human, the calling of God to be his image in the world, you have that capability. If you hear nothing this morning, what an honor that is. That despite your bumps and your bruises and your imperfections and your difficulties, God looks at you and says, hey, I want you to be my image. 
you are worth more than you can ever imagine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, would you speak to us? Would we answer the call to be your people, to represent you faithfully? May you show us what that means in our lives. May you renew us and transform us into your image. May you speak to us in the time of communion and prayer as we seek your face. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion and as our servers come down, I just want us to reflect on this question. Am I, am I bearing the image faithfully? And if you're not, quite simply, what we believe is that if you come to Christ, if you receive his mercy and his forgiveness, he will be faithful to transform you and do a work in you so that you can reflect him faithfully. It may take some time. We call that work sanctification. It's kind of a cleaning off of the mirror so that people can see God in us very clearly. And if you have made that decision, if you are in a relationship with Christ, I simply wonder, maybe God will speak to you about that situation in your life, what it means to represent him, what it means to be his image. Maybe some of us need to be reminded that we can't get any leverage on God and push God's buttons, that we simply have to come to a God who seeks our love as a parent and relate to God as such. This time is for us to spend time in conversation with our Heavenly Father. I invite you to pray at an altar. I invite you to pray in your seat, however you want to interact with God, and we invite you down to the communion. You don't have to be a member of this church to partake in communion. All that we ask is that you accept that call through Jesus Christ, make a decision to follow him and reflect God in the world. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after breaking it, he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. When you're ready, come receive the grace of God. And remember, this is how you are to reflect God in the world. We are to reflect Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. Let us continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you would choose us to represent you in creation. Yes, even us, with all of our bruises, imperfections, frailties, that not only you would choose us, that you would even choose to dwell with us in the flesh, to even give your life to redeem us, to draw us back to you. And so we just thank you and praise you for that. And Lord, I just pray for this group of people right here that we would accept that amazing and awesome responsibility to represent you faithfully in the world today. May you keep us close to Christ. May we rely on your grace and your strength and your wisdom 
to see what that looks like, to be your holy people, your holy representation out in the world today. Not high and mighty, not as, uh, oh, we're better than you, but in service and love as Christ has served and loved us. May people see in us a representation of something that they may not know, but they want. May people be drawn closer to you as they come to know us and see Christ in us. Lord, would you protect us from trying to manipulate you? Would we, you protect us from trying to represent you unfaithfully in the world today? But may you give us strength and mercy as we seek to follow Christ with everything we have. May you help us as a church as we try to minister to the community. I thank you for the car show and just pray that you would continue to bless the preschool as we plant the seeds of faith in the little ones. May people come to know your love through that ministry. Be with the recovery groups that are meeting here on a weekly basis, those who are trying to escape the bondage of addiction, Lord. Bless them. Be with the food pantry, Heavenly Father, as we seek to feed our hungry brothers and sisters, and may they see the love of Christ in that ministry. And Lord, in multitude of ways, through our giving to uh, world broadcast mission and faith promise and all around the world, may we be generous, and may you bless the ministries of this church and your church globally, Lord, as we advance the kingdom. May your church as a whole be your image in the world, Lord, we pray. We, we lift up those, like we saw in the video, those who are putting it all on the line to represent you faithfully. Missionaries and, and uh, Christians who are suffering be, because of the gospel, may your strength be upon them, Lord. We lift up those in our congregation that are struggling with uh, health issues or family issues, Lord. Those that know someone with a cancer diagnosis, may your healing touch be upon them. Those that are carrying heavy burdens of chronic pain, may you give them strength and alleviate their pain. For those recovering from surgery, help them to heal quickly, Lord. For those that are dealing with emotional stress, discord within a family or relationship, Lord, we pray that your spirit would bring reconciliation and healing and peace. We lift up uh, our district superintendent, Greg Mason, pray that you bless him. We also lift up our local and our state and our national leaders, Lord, give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties faithfully, and may we promote peace and justice wherever we can, treat other nations rightly. And Lord, keep us close to you. We love you so much. May you continue to work in our hearts and in our lives and sanctify us and help us to be your holy image. And may we treat others as they are your image as well. Help us to pray as you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me and receive this benediction? This is, as we are thinking about the great Ten Commandments, 
I want this to be a recurring theme that our Lord taught us the commandments as well. And I think you'll see how it directly applies to what we're talking about today. But this won't be the only time we read this. So if you'll read, I'll read the leader portion. If you'll respond uh, with the congregation portion. Teacher, they ask, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These are the commandments, and you can see here the love that we show God is directly related to the love that we show his image and creation. So may you be the people who faithfully, honestly, sincerely represent the God of all the universe. And may you find joy in that, that God has chosen you to be his image.